The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S.com. Corey, how do you like your nipples? Toasty. You like your nipples draped in luxury? All the time. All the time? Well, if you love luxurious feeling nipples, I suggest you go and support some of the people who sponsor our show. Huh? 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 I don't see how I could not. <laughs> go ahead and take you and your nipples, and you're going to go over to our first one, which is uh, he does all our art. He's a really good friend of ours, uh, Brad Gunnarsson, Statusphere Merch, statusphere.merch.com. Use the coupon code TERROR. Get, you, get yourself 15% off of your order there. And furthermore, you can take take the same set of nipples, head over to thehate.com, T-H-E-H-V-I-I-I.com, three eyes. Use HBG15, get you 15% off there, treat yourself and your nipples. And I only wish I had more than three nipples to use. Welcome to episode 81 of the Podcast of Terror production of the Galactic Network. I'm your host, Matt Stein. With me as always is Corey Scott. Corey, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to be here. I'm very excited for our guest this week, so uh, I'm going to try to keep my nipples in place. Well, we we ran out of all the hot topics before we even started recording, so I don't even know if I want to talk to you anymore. Mm. I can see how you'd be spent. I'm kidding. Uh, This week's guest is the author of a little book called Podcast Advertising Works, How to Turn Engaged Audience into Loyal Customers. He's also the man behind the podcast advertising agency, the Adopter, excuse me, Adopter Media, and he apparently was a former director of marketing for a little thing, a thing called Twit. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that. But uh, I mean, they're not big in the podcasting world, but no. but netcasts, they're all over. That's <laughs> yeah, true. That's netcasts. True. I may butcher your last name, and I'll apologize because people screw mine up all the time. Glenn Rubenstein. All good, man. Okay. I, well, I've been called Steen, but my last name's Stein, so I didn't know if it was Rubenstein or Rubenstein. You know, I we moved around when I was a kid. My dad is a rabbi, so we lived in Ohio, in Michigan, and then uh, around the Bay Area in California. And I just grew up never having a preference. So now I don't care how people say it, Rubenstein, Rubenstein. I'm well, good with the right one. way. I believe Stein is probably like the official Jewish way to say it, right? I mean, mm. my family is from like you know Poland and Russia, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably the correct one. But it's been anglicized so much by people. So for the when years. you say it, how do you say it? Depends on who I'm talking to. I think you know this is the current climate we live in. Is that if you're ta- look if you're talking to someone else and you think they're a member of the tribe as well you go full jew at that time and you're just like reuben stein like i'll bust out my hebrew name i'll be like yeah gadali david you know my dad's a rabbi like try and work that in the conversation very quickly but when talking to you know uh people from various parts of the country and i'm not so sure how they feel about the semites then it's reuben stein just to play it safe fair enough so they yeah, and it doesn't instead really- of a jew it doesn't really matter until halfway through the movie when you switch from one to the other and then Frau Bruca gets fed and a horse whinnies in the background. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> Young Frankenstein. I'm sorry. I had to use the reference. It was just, it was too obvious. For more on this podcast, including show notes, contact information, subscription links, go to gncast.com slash pot. You can chat with us on our Slack channel during our shows at gncast.com slash sign up. While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter as well. Um, this week, we're spoiling the final girls. And I swear a lot. And before I forget, Glenn, can you talk more about Adopter Media and, and everything you have going on in your book? 
Yeah. So I worked at Twit for four years selling podcast ads where I was also the director of marketing. And what happened, you know, if you listen to the Twit network, a lot of advertisers, everyone from Slack to Lynda.com, uh, BarkBox, uh, God, they're probably Casper 15. Well, not so much them, but specifically about 15 uh, to 20 of those advertisers were my clients over the time when I was there, uh, it pro TV and more and more, they were coming to me and saying, Hey, it's going really well on Twit. What can you do for us with podcasts in general? And so at the start of 2016, much like the fourth season of a sitcom, I said, I'm starting my own agency and striking out on my own, um, and decided to, to really make it a go of it. And so, you know, I still rep Twit. I still work with Twit in that capacity and place some sponsors there as it makes sense. But now I have my own agency, Adopter Media. And one of the first things I did was after hearing, you know, so many people with their questions about podcast advertising, how rates are calculated, how you know which podcast to advertise on, uh, people were telling me. I should write a book on the subject because I educate people a lot about it. And finally, I, I broke down and over the course of a couple weeks last year, wrote this book. And it's been doing surprisingly well. It was the number one bestseller in the podcast and webcast category on Amazon. And yeah, people are picking it up and coming to me and wanting my expertise and advice in how to get involved in advertising in this medium. So, so, and then so you just do the timeline thing, like read the book and just hand it over to them. <laughs> Quite often, you know, there's a lot of that. Well, you know, actually, I cover that in the book. Uh, but no, for the most part, it's people still have questions. You'd be shocked how many people want to advertise on podcasts. And these are people that work for brands that, that you have heard of. And the first thing they will say to me is, OK, so I've never actually listened to a podcast. And I'm just like, OK, I know what I'm in for. Like, I yep. have to really give them an education. Well, like, you know, not just what's a stream versus a download, uh, pre-roll versus a mid-roll, how are CPMs calculated. It's just, this is new, right? But it's taking off. Uh, some insane numbers are being thrown around. This year, $243 million are going to be spent on podcast ads, which is nuts. Uh, how do we get some of that money? That's what everyone is asking. So what I spend a lot of time doing, it's not even our business model, but um, what I spend a lot of time doing, and I have a team of uh, two others that work with me, what I spend a lot of time doing is talking with podcasters about like, hey, here's how you can make your show more advertiser friendly. Um, sometimes I described it the other day, it's like just, you know, being a podcast therapist because there are these podcasters out there that are trying stuff, trying to figure out what works. And it's a matter of listening to them, you know, what they've tried, who else they're working with and what's not working and how we can make something active from there. Um, but yeah, it's cool. You know, it's great. I get to talk with a lot of advertisers and work with a lot of advertising clients to sort of be their podcast ad guy. And uh, it's fun to get to market a lot of different companies in this medium. Um, it, it's funny because I read the book. Uh, it's very good. It, and it, it's so much of it was stuff of like I, I'd read it and go, well, yeah, of course, you know, because I've listened to not just podcasts, but I listened to the Twit Network for so many years. And this is the stuff that you learned being there that you kind of made this business happen. And so it's like I can see the examples already as I'm reading the book, because I recognize what you've already done, but I am seeing that happen more and more in other podcasts now as I listen to things on different networks, like Feral advertising now, and it seems to have changed from way it used to be, which was pretty minimal, to now they're trying to insert it in the middle of the content on a lot of their yeah. shows. Um, and the, they're doing the, the, not necessarily live reads, but they are having their, the people who are doing the shows read the ads in a way that is open and inviting to how they're stylistically in the podcast. Um, so they're not stopping the show, doing an ad and then going on, but the ads are them. And it would sound like just like if they did stop and do it in the middle of it. 
And that's the key, you know, and all credit to Twit. And I, you know, I've said that there a million times. Um, I keep saying that there. I hold them up as the gold standard for everyone. And credit, you know, I dedicate the book to Lisa Laporte, the CEO of Twit. She's the one that gave me the chance to get started in podcast advertising. And I learned so much from working with her. And the first person I think is Leo, who I've known now for God, you know, 25 years. Since you were um, three. Well, since we were three years old, since, since I was a young, much, much younger man. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot because Twit does it the absolute best. And I think that was the big wake up call for me and getting out outside of Twit was realizing like, oh, not everyone does it this way. You know, I would I think I was very fortunate that a lot of the podcasts I listened to had a similar style of advertising, but I've seen what the landscape is overall. And I keep telling people, listen to what Twit's doing, listen to what Leo's doing. That's the model you want to emulate because that works so well for everyone. It doesn't just work for Twit. It works for the sponsors. And most importantly, it works for the audience because Twit has such a strict vetting standard that if you're an advertiser on their network, it's a good product, it's a good service, and the audience is really going to dig it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing for me as a, a fan of Twit is I've always had 100% buy-in. When I listen to Leo or somebody there read an ad, um, be it uh, Jason or whomever, I... I totally believe what they're telling me because that's just the way that Twit has done it is that they don't invite in ads from from companies that they don't believe and they don't invite in ads from companies that are sketchy because the, of the relationship they have with their audience. And and that's the thing. We have been lucky that we've had a, a couple of sponsors here since pretty much almost the beginning of the show. Um, but it was it's people that we know and people that we you know are fans of. And, and we don't advertise it in a way that the show gets paid. We advertise it in a way of like, we love these, these people, we love their product, and so we want to keep advertising their product. But it's still, it's, it would be very hard for me, and I think for Matt too, to do an ad for something that we just thought was pure shit. And <laughs> I think it's important because you do hear so many different things come across the board on these shows and stuff, and it sounds like, some of the time they're just reading a script and they don't really yeah. know what it is that they're talking about. They've never tried the product. They don't completely believe in it. And that's that's too bad because that's what separates podcast advertising from advertising on TV or on, on even radio is that you have the opportunity to kind of pick at this point in time who you want to run ads for and, and, and find the right mix that it's going to be something that you're into and then hopefully your audience is going to be into even more. Um, and I think that that's, that's the correct way to do it. And you know, what's amazing to me is that we're actually not seeing more podcast ads to, to bring it to the subject matter at hand, uh, for movies. I mean, we've seen it a little bit for TV show. We've seen it in, for movies in the sense of saying, you know, they'll like run an audio trailer, but, uh, you know, to, to completely switch genres, Corey, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, cause I post about it on Facebook. I feel like all the time, but I fell in love with the movie Sing Street last year yeah. that came out. And I just thought it was such a great story about being in a band in the eighties in Ireland. And I just, I thought the original music was great. I am shocked that something like that, that was so undermarketed or even something like the movie we're going to talk about uh, today, the final girls, like why didn't the studio do a podcast ad campaign, send screeners, do screenings for these hosts, maybe do a it comes out on video so they can watch it ahead of time and then just spend 30 seconds talking about this great movie that they watched because i don't know about you but when leo talks about a movie he's really excited about or adam carolla will talk about a film that he's seen or joe rogan will talk about a documentary it's like that's the stuff that their excitement makes me think man i have to watch this right away mm -hmm. so i don't know why film marketers aren't using this as a means to to just provide better word of mouth about, about their films, but it is really a different form of marketing. And that's where the education comes in is I really have to explain to people that podcast advertising is like a mix of traditional advertising and influencer marketing, because what you're doing really has to be authentic. 
Yeah, and Matt is is so balls out when it comes to looking for guests for the show that he will reach out to somebody who's doing an independent film uh, yeah. or is doing a, a new sort of podcast that seems in line with what we're doing. And he'll just go out and he'll talk to them. Uh, so we've had uh, the gentleman who did the documentary on Kane Hodder mm. on here uh, now twice. We had him on. We had Derek on once when he, the the thing was still going through the Kickstarter. And then we had him on a second time just because he was so cool that he wanted to come back. Awesome. But in, in every way, it's like it's a it's an ad without being an ad. And we could have turned that into if we thought about it, if we tried and and if it was something he was interested in, we could have turned that into something which was then a ad placement for the next few weeks, at least while the Kickstarter was still going on. And that would be a perfect crossover between having someone on as a guest and and having them as content, but also turning them into an advertising perspective for the show. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we are going to see film studios realize that uh, TV, they, they call it tune in campaigns. But see, I just think just to play a, tra uh, you know, a little audio trailer, I don't think that really does it. I think you want the host giving its recommendation and having it be genuine because I can hear it now when I listen to any podcast ad. I know if somebody's just reading, um, yeah. and, you know, especially if they're using the same language you hear on every other podcast. So with the sponsors we work with, that's a big part of it. I mean, that's why they engage us to work with them is because we're going to have different copy and talking points for every podcast we put them on and then get that host input to make sure that we're calling out the most important stuff, the most interesting stuff and really making it genuine. Yeah. I mean, and you can hear it when you, anytime you hear an audible ad yeah, um, and you hear the person not talk about audible just as a service, but when they're talking about the books that they've been listening to, the ones that they most enjoyed uh, and they get excited and they start talking about, well, what I also listen to this book and I also listen to this book that that gives you a hundred percent buy-in as to what it is that they're offering you. And it's, it's not necessarily like, Oh, I want to listen to audible or I want to sign up to get that specific book. But obviously this person is spending hours and hours listening to these things. They must be getting a lot out of it. I like to get more content. So why wouldn't I sign up for that too and find things that are interesting to me? Yeah, no, and it really works. And the same thing happened, you know, remember when Netflix was advertising on podcasts, that's, that's what they did a lot of when they launched their first original series. I mean, what was yeah. it like Lily Hammer? And uh, I think uh, the first three or four they did, that's what they made the focus of their podcast ads was what are you watching on Netflix? Check out these series, you know, and the host really fell in love with them. And I think that that's what comes across is you need it. You really need it to be authentic or else it just doesn't work. Yeah, well, I'm excited for the the new business. I hadn't realized that you had left Twit. Uh, up until the book came out and it was kind of like a, a oh well that sucks because he's gone from twit but it it sounds like that it was just the next natural progression for you yeah you know i felt like as the director of marketing there well part of it also i mean i'm sure you you guys know this as well but it's like look at podcasts and look at where it's going and you know that number i quoted with ads so the ad revenue is coming in and and the advertising element really was becoming more and more of my passion i was responsible for about 20 percent of twit's overall ad sales um at the time i left but the marketing, on the other hand, uh, it was it was going well, but I could see the horizon that this is going to get a lot harder as there are more podcasts coming into the fray. This is going to start feeling like more of a job soon. Um, yeah. And uh, if I want to focus on the ad part, which I was having so much luck and success with and so much interest in, I was like, yeah, for me, this is absolutely where I want to be so I can devote 100% of my time just to podcast ad sales. Although it's funny because uh, a lot of the podcasts that I work with that, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're not pulling me aside, but they're saying like, oh, we noticed you were the director of marketing at Twit. You know, we'd love to hear your feedback about what we could do to help <laughs> grow our podcast audience. Uh, it's everyone's trying to figure that out right now. And believe me, if I knew there was a one size fits all approach, I mean, forget advertising. I'd be writing a book about that and just selling it for a thousand dollars. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about growing the network, then what you have to do is you have to get a Lisa. Uh, if you're talking about growing content, then that's that's Leo's strength and yeah. the people that they've they've brought into the network over the years that have obviously, you know, some of them have come and then gone on to other things, but you look at those other things they've gone on to and they're huge. Yeah. Um, and, and some of them came in with a lot of experience too, but still, you can't deny that the years of Twit haven't improved things for people like Tom or Iaz or Sarah or whoever else that has been there that has, has gone on and and created their own audiences someplace else. Yeah. And, you know, and it's no secret either. I mean, Leo talks, you know, Leo is a very public man, um, but he talks about, you know, Twit is what, like 90 percent sold out every year, which is great. But I think I was also hitting a ceiling with 20% of ad sales because there was so much demand and they work with so many different agencies and brokers and they sell things direct as well. So from there, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hit a cap on what I can do here with my level of success. And I want to really open up that playing field. Yeah. And right now I assume that almost 80% of the podcast, at least from what the audience perceives, uh, they're all uh, true crime. Because yeah. that no, seems like five more launched in just the time we're having this discussion. Shut up. Um, yeah. I love those. You shut your dirty whore mouths. <laughs> no, I don't I don't have anything against true crime podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts is actually it's it's one of the stiller ones, but it's my favorite murder, uh, oh. which is on Federal Audio. I love we're, that we're, podcast. Uh, Alyssa and I are going to see you live in Milwaukee on April seventh. Really? Yep. Oh man, you are so lucky. Um but I was I was a big fan of of Georgia from the slumber party podcast and from mm. being on food TV and everything or, or the cooking channel more. So, but I'm in, I've been in several podcasting groups of people who are either fans or people who make podcasts. And so much of it is just this concentration of true crime podcasts. And that seems like that's all anybody knows is out there. And it's really wow. weird to me. It's funny to me, too, because uh, that audio narrative, I mean, Corey, think about going back to Spreecast and all the discussions, you know, we've had in terms of the style of just having conversations. Um, I know a lot of folks who create audio narrative podcasts more than NPR style and yeah. the amount of work that is involved in that is insane. And I, yeah. you know, if you have a hit, it's worthwhile, but I don't know why anyone would sign up for that when, you know, Leo has proven you can just have interesting people having interesting conversations and that's good enough. I, I completely stopped doing any sort of editing on these shows. You really have. <laughs> I really have. I, I tried to at first and it backfired. So I just stopped. <laughs> yeah. It makes it a lot more work, right? As opposed to just show up and talk. Yep. Yeah, we have Beatmaster does pretty much everything for us over on Else Nerds. And it's so funny because I know that he he goes and he helps out at a lot of different shows, a, a much bigger, more important shows than ours. But he's so driven and dedicated to to get the graphics up there for YouTube, to get the video edited, get the sound done. Uh, he created the music for the, the show and everything. And I'm just like, I don't think that this show could even exist if it wasn't for you, man. Yeah, like Gregor and I don't even deserve to be here if it wasn't for the fact that he, for some reason, likes to show up and listen to us talk for a couple hours. Yeah, Beatmaster is awesome. Uh, I loved it awesome. when he came to the U.S. and visited Twit, and it was like Beatmaster Week at Twit. Like he he started out there just as a fan attending the shows, and by the end of the week, he was guesting on like every other show. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, that was like the ultimate in audience participation. Well deserved. Absolutely. I suppose we should talk about news or something. Yeah, what's going on? Um, oh, first, we have to, Corey, we got we to gotta do our new segment that we came up with. So, so Glenn has an idea of what's happening. A couple of weeks ago, I like, I like drinking. I like drinking beer. I always try to drink beers while we're doing shows. 
uh and one of Try. our listeners <laughs> i like it's it's so cute that you say it's it, it's it's a effort that i'm putting forth for you the my own arm to open a bottle of beer um <laughs> so one of our listeners kind of called me out on the fact that i never point out what i'm drinking so uh cory had the idea that we do a what, what we're drinking quick and i'm drinking avery brewing pumpkin it is a bourbon barrel aged uh pumpkin porter and it's fucking delicious and clocks in at a nice 18.8%. So I might wow. be dead when this is done. Corey, it's your turn. Uh, I'm I'm still drinking Lipton iced tea nice out tea. of my, my night's head glass because that's what I do. I'm a very simple man. I'm 45. I'm going to die soon. So this is helps me stay regular. Glenn, uh, what are you sipping on to keep those vocal cords wet? So I started with some of uh, Safeway Select brand Italian roast K-cup uh, Keurig <laughs> coffee yeah. that I finished, which is why I'm a little perky uh, in my speech. But then here, uh, as always, uh, my go-to, which is just water out of uh, an old school Pepsi pizza parlor style glass. Did you steal it from a bowling alley? <laughs> it would only be better if it was the red Coke cup. Like oh, I, I, so much of my youth yeah. was spent sipping out of those at every pizzeria, every Italian restaurant. Pretty much every place I ate, especially when I lived in Michigan. Uh, but yeah, I just I try and stay hydrated throughout with it. Um, I've lost my voice a couple times. Not a pleasant experience. And I spend so much of my time on the phone talking to people, podcasting. So yeah, I just have to stick to water. Although, Corey, I'm sure I don't know if you remember the one time I got drunk on Spreecast. That was uh, oh yeah, something else. <laughs> it was. It, it's it's kind of too bad and yet it's also very uh helpful to our our longevity of being online is that the spreecast stuff went away yeah it all just up and disappeared one day <laughs> yeah probably best that was not preserved for for all of mankind i'm, I'm sure it's somewhere just gotta find it yeah. uh anyways to the news first story we got up uh speaking of netflix originals uh the uh, first trailer for netflix death note has come out uh death note is coming out on august 25th 2017 um i know not a ton about death note i also have a really shitty attention span and memory recall i know we've talked about it i think the trailer looks fucking awesome um this is a creepypasta right Corey? uh i don't know if it's a creepypasta it's based off of a anime series Mm. yeah it was a comic series and then there is it has one of the creepiest looking characters um that i believe willem dafoe is playing the character in the american version but they don't actually show willem in the the trailer the trailer i had really no idea what the story was about up until this trailer but it's about a book that appears that has some sort of uh demonic leanings and if you write a person's name into the book, the, the book will kill them in some way. It's basically you're deciding who lives or dies by by putting them into this book. But the creature has always been the thing that I've seen uh, wandering around, and it is just hideous. And when I heard that Willem Dafoe was going to be playing it, I, I could not be more excited because Willem Dafoe himself is a deadly creature that frightens small children. Um but also people have a fetish towards him. So I was trying to Google, see if I could get a picture of the death note character. And apparently there's a petition to boycott it because it's considered whitewashed. Yeah. Um, right now there is a lot of issues with 
Asian storylines, Asian characters being played by white people, even when they're not Asian characters, such as the case of Iron Fist. Uh, but people felt that they should get an Asian actor or an Asian American actor to play the character Iron Fist um, because there are so few roles that are um, that it seemed to be available to Asian or Asian American actors. Um, and I, I get the importance of that. I absolutely do. But we're seeing a lot of complaints like things uh, like Ghost in the Shell. And even the creators behind the original uh, stories for Ghost in the Shell are like, but she was never technically Chinese. She was a robot and and she was meant to look Caucasian. So it doesn't bother us that Scarlett Johansson is playing her. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's one of those things that would we really be losing anything if it was an Asian uh, person playing these characters? Not at all. We absolutely wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't damage anything by doing it. So while I don't necessarily think it needs to be forced, I could say that it would still be really cool if, if it was that way. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I think it's cool if it's Willem Dafoe because fucking Willem Dafoe is creepy and awesome and I think would be good in this. The, the picture that you sent, is that from the Netflix show or is that just a picture of... That's from the anime. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I've seen the character. I was curious what Willem Dafoe looks like. As I is it is the character's name Death Note or is it Ryuk or something? Uh, I'm not sure what the name of the character is. the The Death Note is what it says on the cover of the book. Yeah. Much like it says, "Don't panic on the Hitchhiker's Guide." Yeah. Did you guys watch Iron Fist? All of it? I did not watch any of it. I heard it wasn't very good. I've made it up through episode eight. I think I'm halfway through it, and I haven't been compelled to run back to it yet we binged the whole thing last weekend i thought it was it exceeded my expectations because they were beaten down so low but i thought what's really interesting i mean danny Rand, the actor they hired is the weakest uh character i think in the entire show and it's funny you mentioned episode eight because the story has come out that uh um Louis Tan, a uh, half Asian actor who I guess was up for the role of Danny Rand, but lost it to Finn Jones. He shows up as this one-off villain in episode eight, sort of this drunken fighter. And the guy's just oozing charisma and is right. so great. And it's amazing to me that he was the most me- one of the most memorable things about the series in this teensy little appearance. And he could have been Danny Rand. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it was, it, is it that they did it because they wanted to stay with the original ideas of the comics or did they just feel that Finn Jones was going to work with the story that they wanted to tell better? And and I I understand that a lot of the problems with the show, like the fight scenes and stuff, Finn was being trained to do them 15 minutes before they were shot. Um, So that's, that's why they are very lackluster. Most of my interest in the show so far has had to do with uh, the Colleen Wing character. Uh, I like the actress a lot in it. I enjoy her character arc more than than his what I've seen so far. But it it feels like it's a a forced series. Like it's just well, we we promise them an Iron Fist story, so we're going to do that to get to the Defenders. But it just it feels completely unnecessary so far. And yeah. that's at episode eight, and there's thirteen of them, and all of them feel a little long to me. Uh, the first Daredevil season probably didn't bother me as much. But I ran into it a little bit with Jessica Jones. I ran into it a lot more, especially when they did the changeover of the villains uh, halfway through the season for Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. I think I found the personality of Luke Cage far more interesting. Uh, 
but I had a lot of problems with the story that they told. Uh, it's mostly the second half of the story and the second half's villain. Uh, Jessica Jones had the most compelling villain of all the series. And I like her as a character. She's easily my favorite of all four of them. But it, it's kind of... We, we talk about the 24-episode seasons that TV shows have yeah. and how a lot of it seems like it's a lot of filler. Uh, it almost feels like 13 episodes might be too much for these shows. <laughs> Eight episodes for Stranger Things worked phenomenally. Yeah. Uh, it's It's hard for me to go past that on a season and have it be... It has to be extraordinary for it to work for that long, no, especially when you're binge watching. Well, and I, I'm hoping with Finn that they cast him maybe because of his chemistry with, what is it, Mike Cutter, who plays Luke Cage. I'm hoping, I think his character will work better in that context, maybe of interacting with them. But yeah, I don't know. But, you know, in terms of people have said uh, Iron Fist is the weakest thing that Marvel has done on TV yet. And I say, oh, you have not watched every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you believe right. that to be true. Because yeah. uh, Iron Fist was was better than that, better than the worst of Agents of Shield, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 also. I mean, one. I think I consider the the Netflix stuff separate from Agents of Shield, even though it's all interconnected. Yeah. I think there's just a different level expected from the shows there. Uh, I'm I'm actually even more than Iron Fist with Luke Cage. I want to see Danny's relationship with Misty Knight. Since that's a thing from the comics, uh, yeah. that they're, they become a couple, uh, especially because he's already had a relationship with with Colleen in the show, and Luke had a relationship of some sorts with with Misty. But that pairing to me is is intriguing because of how well they've done with it in the comics. Um, there's uh, a writer who who's been doing uh, Jeremy Whitley, who's been writing stuff of those characters and like backup stories and stuff for Marvel, and it's it's very important to him. Uh, because he's in an interracial relationship or marriage and has uh, a child of mixed race. And I just think that, yeah, that that seems cool, but it depends on how far they're going to go with that. We're only we are only getting eight episodes of Defenders, as I understand yeah. it, uh, yeah. which may be better for all of us. And we're getting Sigourney Weaver, which I think sounds great. Yeah, my guess as Danny Rand's mom that they kept specifying probably died, likely died. But who knows? Yeah. But as far as, as Death Note, it is this. I didn't even catch if this is a movie or if this is a series. I think it's a series. Yeah. I, I don't know if the story itself would be compelling to me if it wasn't for the anime that it's based off of. Mm. Um, but certainly the Defoe factor stands out for me personally. And it looks pretty good. It's just, it seems a lot of like, it, it it's it's sort of the the social media Facebook bully kind of thing of like, oh, I don't like you. Uh, so I'm going to write your name down in this book and it's going to destroy <laughs> your life uh, or in this case, kill you. Um, that it, it seems a little too on the nose for today, but we'll see what they do with it. The The mood of the trailer is pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on to the next story. I don't care about this at all, but <laughs> Returns teaser came out. And if you listen to this podcast, you remember when we did Manos, The Hands of Fate, and it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I get that that's the allure, but it is actually hot garbage. Um, yeah, I didn't even watch the trailer or the teaser. Did you watch it, Corey? 
I did. There's not a lot to it, uh, but that's exactly why I included it is because it's Manos, Hands of Fate. Uh, it is one of the worst movies that we've ever seen. Although I kind of think Dave's other choice, that vampire film that he had us watch. That one was definitely. I feel like that was worse. Manos at least had like things I can make fun of. Grave of the Vampire, I think it was trying to be really good and it was even worse. Oh, it was. Oh, it was, it was bad. It just hurt my feelings bad. Um, but this is. I mean, we've we've uh, we've known that we we have a love of Manos. I think for the the ridiculousness of it, the spinoff aspect of it, the uh, hands a, of felt. A, there's a side-scrolling video game on Steam. Yeah, and the uh, puppet version, Manos Hands of Felt, I think yeah. is one of the just the greatest things to do with something. Uh, plus, there is a new Mystery Science Theater coming to mm-hmm. Netflix very soon. So you kind of hope that maybe this is arriving just in time to to wind up in one of the seasons of that. I, I don't expect it to be good, but at the very least, it has uh, Jackie Neiman Jones, who was part of the original film, uh, is is a part of this one as well. So it's it's got a it's got a pedigree, if you want to call it that. I don't know. Whatever. I'm, I, I mostly put it in there to make fun of you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Glenn, have you seen Manos? No, I have not. All right, good. I mean, just don't. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's tough for me to watch something and be like, I literally got no enjoyment out of it. And normally that's something that's just mediocre. Um, I mean, it's so it's not so bad. It's good. It's just literally like just bad, bad, bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. it's literally it's... terrible. But if you get to read up on the backstory of it, like you that you like that movie about the I don't even remember what it's called, but the guy. Who was just a terrible actor, and he and his girlfriend the room. like the room. Yes, you've you've talked about the room before I in an appreciative it. way. Yeah, it's it's, but it's you know it's shit, but at the same time you enjoy it because of the the backstory to it being shit, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a movie we saw in uh, San Francisco Public Access a couple of years ago called Generation Now. That's like a group about a multi-culty group of kids that's having issues at home. So they turn to drugs and like gangs. And it looks like it was shot on camcorders. But this dude released it on DVD. And if you go to the website for Generation Now, he talks about it like he's the new Coppola. You know, it's like this visionary <laughs> groundbreaking film. Um, so I bought that on DVD. Like my wife and I have watched that multiple times because it's 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 hard is in the right place and you could tell someone really cared about what they were making they just didn't have the skills or equipment or talent to pull it off and that i can kind of respect yeah and this banos was done more of a bet the guy's like oh i can make a fucking movie it, it's almost like springtime for hitler ah. uh where but he didn't make it to lose money he just figured he could make a movie if he just threw enough money and time into it, he's like, oh, yeah, I could I could make a movie and, and do all this stuff. And then he did. And it's it's just considered the worst thing ever made. And and I I can't say that it's that it would actually land higher if we weren't already picking on it for being the story behind it. It is a really terrible film. But I think that that's, again, what's part of compelling about it. Hmm. But only that only that. that. Not a, not, a, not a whole lot of redeeming value to that movie. <clears throat> um, I, I would almost like to see somebody fix it. I'd almost like to see no. somebody try to come along and make Manos palatable. I don't think that that's what the sequel is going to be. I think the sequel is milking the, the terribleness more, more of it. Of the bad. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, I don't know if this is an aging thing or just where culture is, but I have that a lot more lately where I'll watch things that I'm like, this was a really good premise. Uh, you know, Matt, we talked about in the lead up to this, the confusion of the final girls with the movie Final Girl, yep. which kind of sucked. And Final Girl, good premise, interesting ideas. Mm -hmm really terrible. I mean, just bad execution, not interesting, just, just awful. And I think it hurt the final girls. You know, when I tweeted that out on Twitter last night, the director of the film did like that tweet. Um, <laughs> is that being an observation for why the final girls, which was awesome, did not do better. Um, but I've had that more and more as I'll watch something again. I'm like, you know, if you just took the first half of this and somebody wrote took it in a different direction, I found myself wanting to fix things more lately yeah. than I'm watching, you know? And that is you've you created stuff, though. You've you've yeah. been interested in telling story before. It, it makes sense because that's how we all kind of do things is you read a book and you start to think, oh, well, this is going off in a direction. I wouldn't have done it this way. And your brain starts thinking outside of the book and starts wanting to make your own stories. Or you watch a movie and you think, well, you know, maybe if if Batman wasn't actively killing people and Superman actually smiled once in a fucking while, this could have been a good movie. Um, but in the meantime, it's like I'm still staring at a piece of shit wondering why I paid for this. What do you think the reaction would be? Because we haven't seen that, right? I've never read somebody, read an interview with a director or saw where he said, so what's the story behind this film? And they were like, yeah, well, I watched the movie Band of the Hand. And I decided the first half had some really interesting ideas and the second half completely went off the rails. So I just really <laughs> redid that, but the right way. Like, I would love that. I would love to see somebody come out and be like, yep, I ripped off this, but theirs sucked and mine's better. So it's original. You know? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of directors do that. It's just that they're usually wrong. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But that would be my entire career. If I was still directing and doing video, I'd just be watching old movies that were fundamentally like just flawed in the execution and saying, like, uh, I'm just going to redo this the right way. I would invite you on to Else Nerds anytime, do a little segment <laughs> called Fix It or Fuck It and yeah. take a film that's been widely panned and, and find the best way to make it better or just decide at the end, no, there's no way to fix this. Yeah, but we're seeing more of that lately. I, and I think the reason why is because I think a lot of people get films and TV shows greenlit by having a really good concept for it. And then they just completely either don't have the skills or the resources to pull it off, but their concept was so strong that yeah. it got a green light. And Bill Murray, I think we're seeing that more and more. Aaron was watching an episode from the first season of How I Met Your Mother this mm. morning uh, when she left. And and she was never into the show when it was on. But I was like, yeah, the first season had so much promise and it, it fell apart. I don't think because they didn't know how to tell a story and they didn't know how to make a good comedy, but because they had to keep stretching it longer than what it ever could have survived. Oh, yeah. And that should have been show, five seasons max. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just trying to remember where I got so pissed off that I left the series. And I remember you telling me, but you're not going to watch for the next two seasons when they're going to end it. I'm like, no, I'm done. And <laughs> I hit my wall and I'm through. And I heard that it never actually got better anyways. But it, it was just like, it's it's terrible to see a premise that is strong, that has great acting and, and great comedy chops, or even something like Lost. Lost had a, a bunch of seasons in the middle there where it was just a fucking mess because they didn't know what to do after the first season. I, I feel like that all of these shows could have been better if they just like felt like, okay, here's our actual endpoint. Let's go with the endpoint instead of continuing on. And and movies, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, oh, well, we, we need to build this not just for this movie, but for the next three films in the franchise that are coming up that we've already announced, even though we have no idea how to make any of them work. <laughs> and and that seems to be a problem right now is we're not able to make good films. We're making 
franchises and hoping that the first films are good enough to keep people coming back for the, the next few. Yeah, and then it ends up like Divergent, where it's just yeah. like, we're not even going to... Did that last one even ever get released? It's supposed that... to come out for TV, and the Shailene Woodley or Woodward or whatever is saying like she's not going to come back for it if it's a TV movie as opposed to something released in the theater. And I'm like, God, I wonder what their contracts are like for you. And I wonder if anybody's going to want to work with you after that if you won't even finish <laughs> up this project. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, more and more, it's just poor execution and for, for a variety of reasons. And it's very unfortunate because I think a lot of people have good ideas that they just don't know how to properly execute. Yeah. Very true. Uh, moving on to the next news story. Uh, Hellraiser is getting an anthology series in a comic form. I imagine if Brad Ludwig were into Hellraiser, he would have a full chub. Yes. <laughs> um, it sounds cool. Corey? Um, one of the things about this that kind of stands out for me, it, it's that this is a new company, a graphic novel imprint called Seraphin Comics hmm. that's that Clive Barker is running. Clive Barker has done a lot of comics of Hellraiser has been, been in the comics many a time through different companies. Uh, it was in the it was part of the Epic line, I think, for a while from Marvel and or Eclipse Comics. Maybe that was it because that was local. That was up here, right? I thought that was Bay Area. Yeah. Um, but Hellraiser is is this very rich mythology that they just can't seem to make work in the billions of sequels in the films. But you, you just constantly want to see more stuff from it. It, it is that, that thing of there's so much there to mine, but they can't make a good movie out of it. Uh, the people working on it, at least in the production companies, can't seem to make a good movie out of it anymore. But it's rich enough that you want to you want to see more happen. You want to see Clive do it. Are these comic spinoffs, do you find they're ever really satisfying? I mean, I know Fight Club was the last one, right? That it was like, oh, we're doing a Fight Club sequel, but in comic form. Do you think that it comes across like sort of glorified fan fiction at a point where it's like, well, here's one writer's take on where it could have gone. It never feels as strong, I think, as the original property that they're adapting. And I just say that with every situation like this, whether it was uh, the Ghostbusters comic that came in a couple of years ago, they did some Nightmare on Elm Street ones, some Friday the 13th ones, just all of it just kind of felt like, eh, actually, you know, the one that sounded interesting, I never read them, but um, I guess Final Destination got some spinoffs that were just like different premise sequels in both novel, uh, novelization or novel form and comic form. And they just took different ideas for big accidents and then it played out like a Final Destination movie. And that I read some good stuff about. But I think that's something where the template is so strong of those movies, you know? Yeah, the thing about uh, the Fight Club is that Chuck actually wrote the comics, mm -hmm. um, which is a little different. Now, I don't know that I expected a Fight Club sequel, and I certainly didn't expect a Fight Club sequel to happen in a comic book. I would have thought that it would have been a novel first. But it, I think that that's a little different than... Uh, even back in the, in the 90s, there was the uh, Techno Comics which was a a company that popped up and had all of these people that were writing sci-fi and stuff that were big names like Leonard Nimoy had a comic series or a couple series that were based off of his concepts and Neil Gaiman was a part of it and had some things that were in it but they weren't writing it themselves so it was like mm. they created the ideas and the concepts and then somebody else was taking it making the comic books out of it and it was also a shared universe which didn't make a lot of sense to me uh with like what they were trying to do where yeah, Chatner I mean, just rambled and somebody wrote it down and he was like, find yeah. a way to make a story out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And that I think is is part of the problem is I want to see the person who masterminded this. I don't want to yeah. read a Neil Gaiman comic based off of a Neil Gaiman story when Neil Gaiman didn't write the comic it, because that's where he started at. And it's 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 one of those things, no matter how good the people who do it are, I want to see his take on it. That's the one that I trust. It's the same uh, reason why uh, those web series versions of TV shows always suck is because it's not the writers from the show. It's like the writer's assistant that they were like, you have to write 12 episodes. It's going to go yeah. on the ABC website, you know, just knock that out. Like it's never the A, the A team that's uh, in there putting that together. Yeah. Give us a yo-yo series for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., exactly. uh, which I didn't watch. So I don't have any idea if it was good or not. I like the character. Sure. At least they got the actual actress involved in it. Um, but sometimes it's like, and this is just an advertisement for AccuView uh, contact lenses or something <laughs> that you get five minutes a week of. Uh, but but the thing about Hellraiser is that there's such a vast mythology. It's kind of like the expanded universe of Star Wars to me, mm -hmm. which is I don't expect George Lucas, especially now, to to write everything for Star Wars because there's just so much potential out there. And it's more interesting to me to see the different takes that somebody would bring to this um like different people writing star trek episodes it, i i think that as long as it's not they're concentrating completely on pinhead yeah. you know the one character that we know that would that would get boring very fast and and having different characterizations of him from issue to issue because it's different people writing him that would kind of blow it away but if it's different people writing things that are in the ideas of the cenobites and the in and the ideas of, of visiting hell and stuff that work in the Hellraiser mythology, then that could be okay. Hmm. Are either of you going to buy this? You think? Corey? I haven't bought comics in a while. I'm, I'm trying to work up to the point where I'm ready to read comics again, when I'm ready to love again. <laughs> uh, it, New 52 really fucked me up, man. It fucked me up bad. And it was a bad relationship that I know that... I know there's the new version of the, the dc universe where they're getting back to some original stuff again and i i think that's great <laughs> but i'm not my heart's not there i'm not ready yeah i really liked where marvel was at before they did their soft re reboot or reset with uh, the new secret wars and then i was like nope i just gotta like i'm, I'm too invested in the old school marvel universe yeah. continuity um i thought sex criminals was a really good comic I don't sex know criminals is really good i mean yeah. what i read of it was great but that's about the time that i stopped reading and it yeah. was just I, it was hard for me to pick up a comic book and and read it and and feel like i was spending the money that was worth my time especially with comics being as expensive as they are these days yeah, it's all about the trades i mean it's just easier to to read it once it's done and it's out you don't have to worry about waiting for the next issue but I don't know the market, you know, with digital seems like it's, it's doing uh decent. It seems like comics are, you know, definitely still a thing, but all the, the biggest properties seem to get adapted into movies and TV shows. I mean, sex criminals is going to be a show. I think the walking dead now has completely changed everything for how comics, you know, it's not just about superheroes anymore. Any comic book can become the next hit series. Yeah. I would love to see uh, a TV series made for HBO or something that could has have the budget for saga. Um, something that would be that giant universe thing that also has the ability to do adult material as, as the parts of it, because there's a lot of dong in Saga. Uh, and it's always terrific. I, I just, I, I love comics as a medium, but at the same time, Stranger Things, a, an eight-episode season of that is my current graphic novel. Yeah. 
It, I get so much out of sitting there and watching eight hours of TV straight and and just dry sweating uh, and, and hovering over my tea. Just like I can't go to bed yet. I know it's five o'clock in the morning. I have to be up for work, but it doesn't matter because this is so goddamn compelling. I, and that is like watching or, or reading Sandman at, at some point. It's like I could I could read Death, the High Cost of Living, or I could watch Stranger Things, and I get about the same level of enjoyment out of this, except it seems to last longer. Well, we should probably move this along. I just realized that we're not even done with the news and we're 45 <laughs> minutes into this already. So what happens when I guess on a podcast? No, no, I... no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, I never want to cut someone off, especially for having a good conversation. But um, And usually I'm the one who's trying to keep us in line. So <laughs> I, Well, I'm very tired and I'm not drunk enough to make this a three-hour podcast. We'll do that a different time. But then you have to get drunk with me, so I'm not the only one that makes a fool out of myself. I know he's not talking to me. I, yeah, I know. Ah, well. Yeah. Pointing <laughs> They make vegan beer, Glenn. Oh, I know. No fish guts. No fish guts in the vegan beer. That's uh, only Guinness. We, Just don't drink Guinness. No, it's, it's in a lot of stuff, which is weird. Who came up with that idea? Oh, he filtered it through a fish bladder. Wait, wait, wait. What other beers filter through a fish bladder? Oh, it's it's if you look at the Barnivore app um, or that the non-vegan beers, that's what they have. They use something in the filtering process um, or they use bone char for um, some bone char in the process we're gonna, we're gonna get goes into it, which is so strange. You know, <sighs> wine too. wine has the, the fish thing. Huh. I knew that like Guinness used I thought they used some fish oil or something, but or yeah, it'd be the fish bladder. Uh, this is the, <laughs> vegan websites take forever to load. But speaking of fish <laughs> bladders, that actually uh, ties in nicely to the next news story. That's very true. I'm glad. I like how our guest is now the only one trying to keep the show on track. Uh, the last news story we have is um, the, the, there's a video game called Scorn that's uh, should, should be coming out soon. God damn, speaking's hard. Um, <clears throat> it, it's been called the most disturbing game of 2017. Um, it's it's straight fucked looking. It, it looks insane. I saw a trailer for this good three, four months ago um, and just remember not knowing what the hell to think. And now I'm really pumped to play it. It's I don't, How would you even describe this? Geiger-esque? Yeah. <laughs> they say it, it's, it's based on inspiration from the nightmarish designs of H.R. Geiger and paintings of... Berinsky. I, I can't say either of that person's names. Wow. Uh, so you know that they've obviously got to be a foreign entity of some sort of evil. Uh, I don't even recognize this person. But just, that's that's exactly... If, if I'm going to get immersed into a, a horrific story, I want it to be visually disturbing. Uh, it looks... It, remember the tool videos from the 90s from like Sober and <laughs> like that with the puppets that were made out of meat and shit? That's what this reminds me of a little bit too. Like that is some good stuff. I just... I feel like H.R. Geiger, we get it, man. You can draw some messed up stuff. He's like the equivalent of uh, that that burnout in the jean jacket with the Metallica patches in your woodshop class who would just sit there drawing like, I've got the skull, dude, and it's got the knife going in the eye. It's like, we get it, man. You're into some dark shit. Like, it's cool. 
Okay. You've Not just described my wife and everything yeah. that she's doing with her art these days. But I feel like with Geiger, I mean, it's 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 just masturbatory, like beyond at this point with uh, everything he has done. The longer it goes on, the more it's just kind of like, well, this is about I mean, you see anything he does. It's kind of like, well, this is kind of what we expect. Right. I mean, what boundaries is he even pushing at this point? Well, he's dead. Yeah. Geiger died a few years ago. Okay, but to be Geiger-esque, it's that same genre, though. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's basically trying to recreate the the same feel of what Geiger's already done. And and that's always, that's a tough thing, too, because a lot of people are obviously going to be inspired by him. I mean, the Aliens movies are completely inspired uh, by his cool. work still. But you, you do want to see it break away. I don't think this is exactly the same stuff. I don't look at this and instantly think, like this is just like uh, Geiger, but it is obviously inspired by it. But it's also inspired by. It looks like Clive Barker's artwork, Ar mm -hmm. Barker's stuff that he would draw for uh, the Hellbound Heart and things like for Hellraiser. Obviously, show a lot of similarities to what we're seeing in this, and it's a lot of things of flesh turned into weird sculpture and weapons and just hideous torture it and i don't know why that i'm so turned on by this i'm i'm afraid to say anything because i don't want Corey to just turn his camera off and go straight to beat town <laughs> you want me to leave the camera on and go straight to beat town i want town. you to look me right in the eye while you achieve an uncomfortable orgasm while recording a podcast i mean it's it's pretty complimentary to yourself that you think i'm going to be able to achieve while looking at you. <laughs> if it's just to show straight up dominance, then yeah, I guess I could do that. One of us has to look away. You know, Geiger died at 74, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the reason why he died is no one was freaked out by his shit anymore. He could no longer shock people. You know, nothing grotesque enough got a reaction. And he was one of those people that got to that point in life where he said, well, my work is done. I have no reason to live anymore. I, I don't think that there was anything that he could do beyond doing species, which was when you saw his creatures literally fucking something. Uh, that was like, okay, my art's now being made love to in film. Uh, I'm done. I feel good. Yeah. So no, this game looks gross. It's some freaky shit. I mm. get it, man. You know, you're edgy. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> the, the emo kid in class. Um, it's part of. Is this current? There's a humble the humble bundle launches multi-platform publishing and funding initiative. I'm trying to see if there's a release date on it, but Scorn is going to be part of that. And the humble bundle stuff is, I mean, that is a great. Humble's thing to gotten be, a little ridiculous with their bundles. They used to just be the humble mm. bundle, and now there's the humble bundle and the humble mobile bundle and the humble book bundle and the humble in your butt bundle. Just it's the brand, you know. I get it. I'm just over here with seven people listening to my podcast being fucking salty. <laughs> I got a drink to get through these things, otherwise I just cry. <sighs> well, then let's let's take a weird step and talk about the movie that we came here to discuss. I yes. I love this movie. I'm very glad. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear that. And I hate everything, so you've done well. I was so afraid I went out on a limb and when I sat down to rewatch it last night and it started at first, I was kind of like, did I maybe oversell, put it too long of a tail on this kite? But uh, I'm so glad to hear that. No. Um, so as previously mentioned, we, we watched the final girls, um, which was a really interesting take on a slasher movie. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far off. 
Let, let's pre-warn people yes. again, uh, like we do at the beginning of the show, but just so you uh, keep things in mind, we are going to spoil this movie. We're going to talk about it uh, in ways that if you have not seen it yet, you probably should watch it first because while the premise, once it becomes apparent what the premise is, um, you kind of get an idea as to where the film's going to go. It's still important to, if you want to be surprised, uh, stop the show, watch the film. It, it definitely deserves to be watched. We'll give you that right off the bat. Our scores are going to be high on this one, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just, yeah. I really enjoyed the fact that like, it's, it's a really light approach to a slasher movie. So it's these, it starts off with, um, I gotta find the names. Amanda is the daughter, correct? Matt and, uh, Max is the daughter. No, okay, Max uh, Am- is the daughter. Amanda's the mom. Okay, yeah, Amanda's the mom. Yep. So um, Amanda is like a, a a scream queen from yesteryear. I don't remember the exact years that this movie took place. Um, so Amanda and Max are in a car accident, and Amanda passes away, and then um, Max and her friends go to see what was it? Camp Slay? Sleep? Camp Murder Camp? That uh, was a Camp Blood. Camp Blood. I believe. Um. I'm fairly certain you're right. I'm going to try and look at it. Camp Bloodbath. Camp Bloodbath, pardon me. Yep. So they go back uh, to a movie theater to watch Camp Bloodbath. And um, my favorite part is the guys who just pull out like an entire bottle of whiskey in the middle of the movie <laughs> and then drop it and then light a cigarette in a movie theater. Um, so the movie theater starts on fire and it opens up a portal. <laughs> a portal, and you think they're just escaping anyways. They jump into the portal and they end up in the movie. And... Um, it's it becomes really apparent very quickly that they're in the movie because every I like how they did this where it was like they were sitting there and the the, the bus drives by and they're like oh you know where the camp is and whatever and then it's just ninety two minutes later and then the bus comes by and then um I don't I know. thought we were gonna get a Groundhog's Day situation from that scene and it 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 sort of plays out like that as the movie plays through the ninety two minutes of the film and then it starts over again but it keeps doing that until they actually become a part of it. Mm-hmm. And then we don't get a, we're going to rewatch this over and over again with them trying to get better at it at that point. Yeah. It, so the stakes become more permanent. They start interfering with the, the natural progression of the movie and play into a lot of slasher tropes. And it was just a really lighthearted approach. I have a little bit of a crush on maybe Funke. <laughs> whatever her real name is. I know she has a very strange name. Um, Aaliyah Shawcott. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, the, I just think she's super attractive. Um, the cast is huge, though, too, because I remember when, when, Glenn, you mentioned the movie, I started looking at it, and I'm like, holy shit, the dude from Silicon Valley's in it. Uh, Maybe's in it. Uh, Adam Devine. Adam Devine. Who oh, I, dude. Who I, I, I kind of don't like in anything other than workaholics but i liked him in this he plays that character really well like i don't know if you watched during the credits there's like outtakes of of when him and the the i don't remember her name the 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 supposed supposed to be final girl and they killed duncan and he's like oh i won't tell the cops if we have (laughs) sex right now i was like it it was even paula who was yeah who was supposed to be the original final girl yeah yeah um but yeah he plays he plays that like tough macho we're just we're gonna do it kind of guy so well but that's all he does he doesn't do anything else other than that even like i don't know if either of you watched workaholics at all yeah did you watch the final seat like did you watch up to the end you didn't really miss anything but it was like my problem with tv shows like that is 
um, the first two seasons were really, really good. And then I feel like they had to become bastardizations of, of their characters because that's what people wanted it to be. And they just got so like inflated that towards the end, like what you saw Adam do in this movie is all he did in workaholics. And yeah. It's his shtick. Yeah. It's definitely his shtick. Um, workaholics, I thought started out kind of middling, but there was potential. But when they got to that episode where they had to get to work and they had to stay drunk the entire time and he was using the breathalyzer and it was in real time, I was like, this is such a good episode. And I, 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 every episode I watched after that, I was just like, it is not reaching what it could be. So I just stopped. It was the webcam girl one for me where I knew that that show was like, oh, shit, this is magical. When Lisa Loeb actually showed up at the end, I'm like, fucking shit. God <laughs> damn it. You guys are genius now. I can't do anything. <laughs> but yeah, he has your shtick and it works so well in this movie. So in this, well. movie, in this movie, yes, yes. But that's the thing is like I've watched him on Modern Family trying to play the super innocent nice guy, but still his voice and mannerisms coming across. I'm like, this is not work. This is not work at all. I cannot buy into you as as a as a genuinely good human being after seeing you in Workaholics first. It's like you've been yeah. ruined for me. And he knows his brand now. I mean, whether it's Pitch Perfect or Mike and Dave need wedding dates, he knows, you know, same thing in those commercials. Then, then yeah. he knows what people are paying for when they hire Adam Devine. Like he just does the same thing now and everyone's happy. Yeah, he he did a stand-up tour. He was in Madison not that long ago, and he, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to go. I think I was probably doing anything else in the world that was better. Um, <laughs> but I kind of want to see it because I kind of want to see what his stand-up is like. Like, um, have you watched Community? Yeah. yeah. Don Glover, have you ever listened to his stand-up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is like fucking night and day. And then do you listen to his rap at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like... My first interaction with with Donald Glover was on Community, and then I saw his stand-up, and then I listened to Childish Gambino, and it's like three very different things. So I'd be curious to see what Adam Devine actually does with his stand-up. Does he stick with his shtick? Because that's what he's, you know, dance monkey dance, is your money. Or does he, like, try and actually be himself? Because Workaholics is done. Yeah. You can't really live on that forever. Yeah. It's true, but I think he's getting money now just to do the shtick. I don't think it's like uh, an Andy Dick situation where it's like, oh, a news radio is so quirky and funny. And then you see him live and it's like, oh, my God, the horror show that this man right. is. You know, I think uh, he was sort of the cautionary tale for, for most people on TV. Like, you got to please the folks that know you from the thing. No, that's true. That's yeah. like um, tomorrow. Oh, fuck, that's tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to see Journey again. Oh. Again. <laughs> My wife, she really wants to go. I'm like, they're going to play the same 14 songs the last time we saw them. But it's, it's, we're paying to see them play the hits. Yeah. That's what, that's, yeah. It's, but dance, monkey. Dance. Yeah. Here's something from our new record. Oh, good. So the last time we saw them, they played like 20 songs. They played like eight hits, one new song, and then the rest were hits. And it's like, so they, <laughs> they play their new stuff, but they put it in the middle where people are peeing and getting beer. And, and, and that's, that's what you should do when you're a they band know. like that. That's what you should do. They know. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, back to the film, it, there is a lot of great actors in this. There, there's a lot of people who are maybe uh, not given enough credit. Uh, Malin Ackerman, to me, is someone who deserves a lot of love because she just everything I see her in. She's just so great. She's kind of like a Heather Graham where she's popular enough and she's she's pretty enough and she's established enough and yet every once in a while she'll still do a thing where she she gets naked 
Um, and and you gotta you gotta enjoy that. Uh, plus, she's she's awesome. She's great on Children Children's Hospital. Uh, she was probably one of the only things watchable in Watchmen mm. for me, <laughs> except for Giant Blue Dong, because you know you, you go with what you you go with what you love. Um, she's on that Billions show, I guess, with uh, with The Rock. I haven't really watched that because it's oh, Ballers or whatever it is. Oh no, this is I guess it's a different show. I thought it was the, the same Rock one. has two shows. I'm no, sure no, Billions is different. Billions is is a Showtime show, not the HBO show. Oh, so gotcha. I was thinking. Uh, it looks like it's got the guy from. Uh, oh, it's got Paul Giamatti and Damon Lewis. Huh. So it's actually good. probably pretty good. Maybe I should check yeah. it out. But no, she's playing um, this, and her character. I like at the beginning. We only see a sliver of it, but she plays like. Imagine what Heather Langenkamp's life has yeah. been like in the the twenty in the thirty years since Nightmare on Elm Street. So I think even though we only see you know her as as the mom character at that beginning uh, for a short amount of time, I think she conveys really well. Even you know in that one scene when her daughter's looking at the her her uh, credits on the back of her headshot, sort of conveys what it's like to be this actress that becomes known for this one thing and then tries to have a career afterwards. So I love how in a very short amount of time we convey that feeling. Yeah, and that's that's true about Heather Langkamp too because other than Nightmare on Elm Street, she did Just the Ten of Us, which three of the sisters from that show have been in Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But when she came back, she she played a mom in the the new Nightmare. So she she kind of starts in the same place where uh, Millie Ackerman's character is in this. And in the movie that she's in Malin Ackerman's character is named Nancy. Yeah. And in the movie, one of the other characters is named Tina, which are the two main girls mm. from the first nightmare. Uh, fun side fact, Heather Langenkamp is in the new Hellraiser. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I and they like should it. get Christy to be in the new nightmare. Yeah. Cause she, same thing. She, she's been in multiple ones of the Hellraiser films uh, we get a a sort of not necessarily a final, but a continuation of her character years down the line, and we haven't seen her in much else besides those. Um, Talissa Formiga, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, sure. from uh, I think it's Tessa, maybe it's Tessa. I don't know. Uh, she, I'm sure yeah. she's listening, so I hope she sends us an email and tells us how to really say it. She's <laughs> great in this. She is so good in she this, really and she. Is. Was, really good in the the seasons that i watched of american horror story mm-hmm. i did not realize that her sister is vera formiga from the conjuring movies and uh from the the uh what is it the goddamn norman norman yes, like, uh bates motel. bates motel yeah bates motel a show I still haven't watched because when I read a review of the first episode and it talks about the episode was really good, but there was a really disturbing sexual assault scene. And I'm like, well, you're really selling me on wanting to watch this. Right. I watched that episode. Uh, I think I made it to the second or third one, but it was really tough for me to get through any more of it. And I realized that I was not a huge, huge psycho fan to begin with. In fact, I hadn't even seen the first psycho at that point until we did really? an episode of wow. this with yeah there's there's a few films that are like very big staples that i haven't seen until they get suggested to me like jaws you're the reason that i watched jaws before uh you made me watch it for uh what else is on yeah or not what else is on Uh, what we're watching weekly we're watching weekly 
But no, uh, it's funny. Uh, Psycho 4 was one of the first things I thought about. Psycho 4, the beginning, was one of the first things I thought about for this podcast. <laughs> because <laughs> I really, I think Henry Thomas in Psycho 4, that's the other reason why I haven't watched Base Motel yet. Because I think Henry Thomas's young Norman Bates did such a, an underappreciated job uh, in his part of Psycho 4 that I'm like, well, how can you really outdo that? Which was fit perfectly with the films. Yeah. You know, I was afraid, I, I'm just afraid uh, with Bates Motel, we're going to get Gus Van Sant's Psycho. You know, something like that. <laughs> um, Freddie Highmore is is pretty good on the show. Yeah, he I've heard, I've heard very good things about it. Um, but in this, yeah, Tessa Faminga is fantastic. And I think this is the thing, you know, I softened in talking about it online. Uh, my original thought when I watched this is I was like, this is like Back to the Future meets Friday the 13th. And I was like, well, maybe that's hyping it too much. I started saying Pleasantville meets Friday the 13th. But after yeah. watching it again, you know, okay, so look, this isn't, Back to the Future in the sense of being the perfect film, which I believe Back to the Future is the perfect film. To me, that is the Citizen Kane of, of you know, my childhood is Back to the Future. Um, but I will say with the attention they give it here, I mean, just not to get super serious about it, but you have this idea that it's like, okay, Tessa Faminga, she conveys this. She goes into this movie and she sees her mom, not her mom that she knew, who was a little defeated, but her mom as she once was is in the character, full of potential, full of opportunity, her life ahead of her and gets to connect with her. I mean, like, that's some heavy shit to have yeah. in a horror comedy film. And what I thought was really interesting about this is it was co-written by, uh, what's his face, uh, Joshua... Um, Joshua John Miller Joshua John Miller he was the kid in Near Dark he was the younger brother in Teen Witch and his dad was in The Exorcist and that's actually what inspired him to write this story was that the experience he had seeing his dad when he was younger in a horror movie you know oh, holy and, shit yeah so when you think no about idea. it this is coming from like a really real place. And I think that absolutely shows in the film one, it's coming from a real place of genuine emotion and how the story was conceived and executed. But two, it's coming from a genuine love of horror films to where it's able to do these tropes, not in a way that, you know, maybe what we all expect where it's so much from a screen point of view where they feel like, you know, Hey, we're going to blow your mind by breaking it down. The kids that do drugs or have sex get killed. Like they just sort of toss that off as an aside. Um, but I like that they have some fresh takes on how to make fun of the genre. Uh, while at the same time telling this really kind of emotionally heavy story that I think they pull off pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, I liken it to Cabin in the Woods because it does sort of dissect what horror films are, but it does it in a completely different way than Cabin in the Woods did, which I, I very much enjoy because Cabin in the Woods was people didn't know that they were in what was essentially a, a horror movie. The, yeah. They and and it never becomes that they're in a movie. It's just that the the tropes of the movies are what they need to do to make these killings work, um, and it fits because it's the mythology of America versus the mythology of um, China when they have the the little girls that are fighting the ghosts that get summoned or whatever. Yeah. It, I I think that it was a really good idea of how to do what Cabin in the Woods did and the idea of of taking the horror films and sort of turning them on their head a little bit but in a completely different way. And instead of saying, okay, people don't know they're in a horror movie, but we're going to inflect all the horror movie tropes that you've ever heard of and, and do a, a spin on them. And this, it's like, they absolutely know they're in a horror movie, but not everybody does. And, and they have to play along with it in a certain degree. There were parts though, that it was like when they go back in the flashback and the flashback is slowly melting into the screen. Like I, I could easily expect that that was going to happen. Um, but then when they walked over 
the the timeline like the the year of this year's earlier or whatever and they have to actually step over the thing i'm like okay this is great this is absolutely <laughs> fantastic yep. that they're doing this uh when they show the credits at the end and they get to the rated r um flash up on the screen at the very end of it i'm like this is perfect this is so good that they did this and i knew exactly what was going to happen um because it's very easy for me to look at it and go like oh yeah but it was a double feature but it's still funny in how they execute it. It's still great how they make it happen. Um, and just in general, when they start playing with some of the other things, like the Tina character was amazing in this. Yeah. She was so great. I don't know her from anything, but she just was so fantastic because it was like she could not help but try to take her clothes off until she got drugs to get clarity and she's like no i'm i'm fucking i'm way too astute now to do this uh i can't handle it i was a little pissed off that they used uh, a song from 1990 in yes. a movie that's supposed to be taking place in the 80s cherry but, pie but and, it, and I, it's great yeah. use of warrant no and that, that bugged me too and that's that's a big nitpick i have in any film that calls out the year it's set in but i think really with this because one they had to do a little bit of playing with the math and the timeline to have malin ackerman to have those years line up with her daughter they never explicitly say what year uh the the rap the rap uh the intro is set in they don't specify right. that's necessarily present day but i i feel like they weren't it wasn't so much like Stranger Things in the sense of, hey, we're trying to do a really authentic love letter to an era. I feel like they're taking the genre of the 80s horror film and the slasher flick, which really runs from 1980 to about 1990. Yeah, it was almost like the Goldbergs. It's it's yeah. it's more of it's 1980 something. We're not trying to be exact. We're not trying to do something that is 100 percent accurate. We're doing a silly take on horror movies, um, but we're we're making it so much fun that you don't have to get hung up on those details. Yeah. Uh, but rewatching it last night, I got to say at the end, I had the same feeling when I watched it the first time where I am, I am uh, and similar to Cabin in the Woods, where I, I am almost angry. I'm, I'm angry that the film was not more successful. I'm just straight up like livid about the fact, especially with this one, Cabin in the Woods got the love it deserves. This movie did not get the love or recognition it deserves. I feel like everyone on the, the R movies subreddit, um, everyone who listens to this podcast, everyone who I, I know to just sort of follow, you know, this slice of horror and, and sort of geek nerd culture here in the year 2017 or 2015 when this was released, like this should be your favorite movie, your favorite discovery of the last couple of years. And I just cannot believe most people don't even know about it. And I blame that piece of shit final girl movie with Abigail Breslin and uh, Wes Bentley from American Beauty. Because it's, uh, how many times do we have two movies with interesting premises come out in the same year with such similar titles? And I'm convinced that that movie just sucking and falling flat on its face. A lot of people watch that and were like, I don't get what all the hype was about with this final girl thing, not realizing they should have been watching the final girls. Yeah, I had no idea that they were two different films. Me neither, until until Glenn pointed it out. <clears throat> yeah. So thanks, Glenn, for showing me the light. I thought studios had a system in place. Remember, like, Scream, like, there were Screamers that came out, and, like, they had to move a release date, and there was a threatened lawsuit? Like, I thought, I thought studios had this shit on lock. No one gives a fuck anymore. It's insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, in, in, this, in this era of remakes every five to ten years... It, it's almost like I would expect them to remake a film while the first one's in the theater. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just angry uh, that this did not get more love. And they talked about when it came out in the Q&A's, the director was like, oh, yeah, well, of course we could do the sequel and have her try and figure out who her dad is because her dad could have been an actor that was in the second movie. The ending is so good the way they set it up for another one. And uh, it's just shocking to me that it's probably never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I almost I'm almost glad that they don't do a sequel or at least a direct sequel in that way, because they do set it up so well, but it feels like, but that's the payoff is not, yeah. it's not the payoff to get that second movie. It's the payoff of seeing them wind up in the sequel and still have to fight their way out of it. It's cool that they bring all the characters, all the visiting characters uh, back, all who were, were very good. Um, I don't know a lot about Nina Dobrev, but I liked her character because she starts out as the, she, she calls herself out and she says, I'm the bitch. Uh, who who's like just been mean to everybody for the first half of the movie. I've already overstayed my welcome. Uh, but she gets to redeem herself, not only in the, the knowledge that she accepts that that's who she is uh, and she makes apologies, but then she also um, does a thing where she gets the final blow against the the killer um, when she realizes that she and Aaliyah Shawkat's character are already basically going to die. You know, she knows she's not going to survive. She knows that Aaliyah's already dead. So she's like, I'm just going to do this to help you guys out and not worry so much about my state of being. Everybody from this group was like the most stereotypical out of them was probably Duncan, uh, Thomas Middleditch's character, because he, that's just who he is as an actor. It's like putting Michael Sarah in the role. Um, <laughs> you're, you know, you're not going to see anything extraordinary out of Michael Sarah, that's not who he already is, which is fine because I like Michael Sarah uh, and I like Thomas Middleditch too, but he's playing who he plays. Um, and the the uh, the boyfriend guy is a perfectly reasonable version of a guy. I thought that everybody got their moments and they were good moments. And then the campers themselves were, while playing stereotypes, still added enough flavor to it that they were all interesting. I like the the Gertie romance with the the one camp counselor um, when she realizes, well, you know, I'm just going to fucking go for it. And then, of course, they both die immediately. Yeah. Um, but it was still it was sweet. It 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 worked in the context. I, so I would I would have loved to see more from these characters. Uh, I know I'd love to see the story like do a twist and, as opposed to we're just going to get through the sequel in the second one. It's like, how do they how do they make that happen to improve things? And how do they somehow bring Nancy back? Maybe. Um, but I still got everything I wanted out of this movie in this, in the context of this movie. You know, what's interesting that you mentioned that. So you guys have mentioned two things that I think about for a sequel that could make it really interesting. One is the groundhog day effect, because at first I was like, well, they're not exploring that enough that time loops every 92 minutes. Right. So I think for the sequel, they could easily say, Hey, we figured out how to defeat this guy in the first film. But now in the second one, we have to play with that concept of trying right. things, different times of getting a second chance. But to what you mentioned is interesting because I don't remember where I read this. So we see that outtake at the end of the film where Adam Devine's character survives and is still alive and talking about, you know, all of his bones are broken except one, but not the one you'd expect. <laughs> um, there was some note online saying that the reasoning was going to be that, oh, yeah, the studio ended up liking that character so much in the first one, they found a way to bring him back for the sequel. Um, that made me think about it's we could even go further with that and say, well, with her mom, because if they affected the outcome of the movie, people could say that, well, like the way, you know, based on how her mom's character changed in the original that they right. found a way to bring her back. She um, should so, have been the final girl at that point. Yeah. 
So I absolutely think there's, uh, you know, and that could actually be interesting too, because the idea that the sequel could have been affected by this this uh, version of events that they changed. So the sequel wouldn't be the setup and wouldn't be predictable for them. And they would be in this slasher film without knowing what the plot is or without knowing all the story beats to avoid them. Well, I would, I would because of the way that the first one changed, yeah. uh, I would have the mom be the killer in the second one mm. throughout the whole thing, but not actually be the killer. We find out that she's coming back there because the person who's actually killing people uh, in the scenes, you don't see exactly what's going on, is yeah. Adam Devine's character. And they do a reverse <laughs> version of Sleepaway Camp is at the end, he pulls down his pants and he has no penis. He's been a girl the entire time. And that would be good because they'd make you think she, he, that he was her dad. And then, right. aha, that's not possible. Yeah. That, okay. Now this fucking deserves a sequel. Absolutely. And I'm angry. I'm angry. Cabin in the Woods. I don't want a direct sequel. I just want like a shit ton. Uh, I want a TV series. I want movies and I want comics in that universe of other attempts from different right. countries, from different scenarios. I just want that premise in that world explored a hell of a lot more. But with this, yeah, I absolutely want to see what happens to these characters again. And then they could do like a bring it on to sequel with entirely new people and a different idea. Like, then I'm fine with that. But I want one more with this cast. Yeah. No one wants yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this. I told Matt last week when when he said that this was the movie that you suggested. I'm like, oh, I'm really excited because I've wanted a reason to watch this. And I just haven't gotten around to it yet. And I'm really happy that it turned out to be as good as it is. I agree. I agree. It was really, really a fucking great movie. Um, do you, anything else you want to cover? Do you want to, do you want to rate it? Ooh, it's tough to pick. See, I don't want to oversell it with people because I remember Corey with Cabin in the Woods, how I, what was it? I insisted that Dave, the Dave go, I was Dave, you go to a theater and see this. And he <laughs> yeah. did. And he was like, it was good, man. But I don't know why I had to like change my plans to go see this, you know, immediately. <laughs> I think maybe at home it's a little bit better because it's like, well, you can you could stream it. You know, there are options like, you know, you don't have to leave the house to watch it. But I think if you like horror movies, if you like slasher films and if you like I mean, what's this genre? Right. Because it's it's like horror, but it's also a little sci fi element, almost like amazing stories. Like, you know, this idea that we have this this travel element into the material. I think if, if you like uh, movies that have, you know, devices like this, like fantasy devices uh, for storytelling, then then this is a must see if, if you're into that sort of thing. I think yeah, it's it, it, horror and comedy for what yeah. it's worth. Well, it's definitely horror comedy, but there, there's horror comedy that is like just comedy. And Tucker and Dale is horror comedy. Mm -hmm. um, and it and again, it it takes the premise and it reverses it in such a way that it makes it something original by diverting what your expectations are of the movie and of the characters. Um, so all three of those kind of belong in the same category. But I, I think it's it's I don't want to call it a spoof. Because the scary movie films have been such shit that horror comedy spoofs have a bad reputation because of those films. Yes. Um, but it it definitely works as its own genre. It's it's a new kind of thing. And I I worry about you have to be really good at it to do it. Um, in in these cases, all three of these have been very good examples. Tucker Tucker and Dale, Final Girls. And Cabin in the Woods are all very good examples of how to um, take a horror movie and and break it apart and make it something that sort of makes fun of itself, 
but also reinvents it into something new. And I think that there's a lot of filmmakers out there who would want to try to do that that aren't as deft as as what these filmmakers are. Um, and and so I'm glad that this hasn't blown up and there aren't a ton of things doing this. Um, sometimes I like a film that is just like a throwback horror movie that is just a really good version of that movie genre that it's it's playing off of. Uh, Deathgasm is like that. Deathgasm wasn't necessarily anything new, but it played into what it was so well that it felt just 100% genuine to what it was that that you were expecting to be. If you like Dead Alive, um, if you like any of the Peter Jackson horror movies, then you were going to love Deathgasm, which was just a little bit amped up in the in the weirdness of today, but fit right in that genre. These are something that stand in their own. So, yeah, I'm 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 glad there's not a lot of them because I think it would probably wear its its welcome thin. No, definitely. Um, but yeah, I just man, I want more of this. I want more of this so bad. <laughs> uh, I was just looking at the Blu-ray and seeing there's a bunch of extra features, alternate ending. I'm like, okay, well, I have to buy the Blu-ray on this. I'll I mean, probably do it too. I I just remember when the movie ended. The first thing I googled was the Final Girls two. Yeah, because I'm like they they're, they they basically say that there is a second one coming <sighs> i just needed to show up and, and, and that's I'm ballsy really... too right i mean like movie, normally when a movie does that we've i mean we've had some what was like big trouble in little china there have been a couple that set it up where nothing ever happened but normally it's like that's like pointing to the outfield and calling your shot you know calling your hit right there i think if you set it up at the end you're saying like we know what, where we're going with this, unless it's a Back to the Future style thing where they say they had no idea. And that clearly shows if you watch the first 20 minutes of Back to the Future part two. Yeah. Right. I've been waiting 30 years for Making the Grade part two. Yes. Uh, which I think does. even had. Yeah. Where the fuck happened in that movie? I know. Run, you know, uh, I think of that one. I think of Running Scared with uh, Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal because yeah. a, a script was written for that and it never, never happened. Yeah, I think Peter David actually wrote the script or helped work on the script for the sequel to Big Trouble, Bigger Trouble in yeah. Little China, and and it never happened. I'm like, God damn it, that would be so great though. And I don't see it leaked online. Um, you know, like I did find the uh, the script and a trading site for Inside Man Two. Like, it's a good thing they didn't make that movie. Inside Man was <laughs> fantastic. Inside Man Two was like, now we're gonna team them up in like a buddy cop you know situation it was just like oh this is this would have been horrible um so yeah it's i'm amazed that uh i'm just amazed this hasn't happened and on twitter i noticed i will say it's telling though that i did not get a response to my question about a sequel sometimes i find that telling I, i've reached out to uh directors before and normally they're pretty upfront when they're like it's, it's not happening man like, right. there's no chance um I had one director of a popular, I, I can't say too much, but a bonus for people that made it this deep into the podcast of a popular 90s teen comedy. Um, I did have an email exchange with one director where I had a PS and their response PS was like, be careful what you wish for. Um, true. <laughs> you know, so things, sequels do happen. We are in that age. But with this one, like, I, I can't remember the last film that had me so pumped to see more. And then just like not knowing is just infuriating to me because mm -hmm. this film should have been so popular. Yeah, well, hopefully it, it, people, you have the opportunity. If you're listening to this podcast uh, in a, in a link to the show notes, there is the opportunity for you to click through. It helps out the network a little bit uh, by using our Amazon link, but watch the movie uh, review the movie. And, and maybe if enough people start jumping on it now, it will show that there's interest in it and something could happen. 
Yeah, the threshold's got to be pretty low at this point, right? I mean, if you look at the stuff that gets sequels, I mean, it just, I just think they just have to realize like, hey, it's not going to cost us that much more money. There's a built-in fan base. We'll turn a profit over time. You know, I feel like that's what some of the studio like thinks about these things. Yeah. I'm still fucking blown away that Joshua John Miller was one of the writers on this. Like, I had no idea that that was who that was until you said it. And now I'm thinking about the fact that Aaliyah Shawkat did a remake of the Top That song that was leaked online a few years ago. I don't even know why from from Teen Witch. And I'm just wondering if that was anything to do with, like, if she knew this guy or something. That's why I watched this, because I went to that screening. I don't remember if you remember this, Corey. I was shamed on Facebook about two years ago. Just shamed. People talk about online bullying and abuse. And let me tell you, this was just as bad as anything else you hear about. Because I saw the movie Teen Witch in San Francisco at a screening with Robin Lively and the girl who played uh, the friend who did the top that rap. And I mentioned, I've never seen Teen Witch before. You know, and everyone just online just abused me with how have you never watched Teen Witch? Uh, but I thought it was good. I would have really dug it if I would have saw it as a kid. I could see where the love came from. Uh, but I was reading. I was like, oh, that younger brother was really funny. And they mentioned the Q&A. He was supposed to be there, but he couldn't. Because I guess Queen of the South, that series on USAS he promoted during wrestling. He's a writer yeah. on that or a showrunner. Um, so I looked him up. And I was like, oh, he wrote this movie, The Final Girls. I'd heard of that, but I'd seen The Final Girl. And I was like, that was a piece of shit. <laughs> so I was like, so I was like telling my wife, I'm like, we have to watch this Final Girls movie, co-written by the younger brother from Teen Witch. And that's why we watched it. God damn. And, yeah. and I would have forgiven you for not seeing Teen Witch because I had seen Teen Witch uh, too many times. I, as, one, of my, one of my close friends is a big fan of it. My wife is a big fan of it. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean... I, I uh, but yeah, it, it's one of those things you, you kind of have to see. It's and it sounds not, like you were in the best situation to see it. Yeah, it was fun. It's not bad. I think there's a lot of stuff when I look at it now objectively and I did watch it as an adult. And I was like, well, this is this is all right. It's cute. It's got charm. But I can put on those glasses, you know, of being a 10 year old again and seeing something. Um, what did I rewatch? That Disney uh, original Sunday night movie with George Newbern, Double Switch, where it's like the Prince and the Pauper and he's like a rock star and a nerdy high school student. And we watched that as an adult and I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of corny, but when I was 10, this was cool, man. Right. Um, and then I realized that the writer on that is like the showrunner on Aquarius. Um, like, like he went on to do like other stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like, there's stuff that you have a nostalgic fondness for that you just don't get a lot of the time as an adult. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, if I were a kid today and I saw this movie, like this would be my my rabbit hole. You know what I mean? Into like, oh, hey, now I want to go back and check out these 80s teen slasher films, you know, understand what it was that we're referencing. But I, I mean, I just think The Final Girls is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Um, I'd easily put it in the top 10 films for me of the last 10 years. I, I, it's it's a fun fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very... It's very good at knowing what it's doing and doing that right. And I don't want to spoil it, but uh, her last scene with her mom, even though I think that goes on a little long, I, I do think there are some flaws in this movie, but I think the so much of it's right and the idea is so good and the heart is there so much that it pulls that it pulls through and makes up for any of uh, you know its minor uh, inconsistencies. But yeah, when it got to that last scene, it was just like, God damn it, I'm tearing up. I'm tearing up again right. the second time I watched it, where I was like, like, how is this horror comedy making me feel something? You know, it like really, really was well done. 
Yeah, it, it has a heart. It and it's funny because it's it's so easy that it it could have just not had that. But yeah. the you're you you mentioned earlier the the overall story of it of of the girl who's lost her mom and finds a way to find a version of her again and doesn't want to let that that person go. Um, there is something inherent to that that is bigger than what this movie would be without it. And I think that's the best recommendation. I mean, I could say this, when's the last horror film that genuinely made you tear up or get misty eyed or feel emotion, you know? And I think that for that to happen in a horror comedy is so rare that they could do that, let alone a horror film, right? Normally in a horror film, you think about, oh man, that's a shitty way to die. Man, the world is a cruel and dark place. Like in horror, I normally don't ever feel, you know, uh, sentiment. It's normally kind of like, oh, I really don't want to think about that. And I think that's just so beautiful that they did this with this movie in the genre. Yeah, I think for Matt and I, it's any movie where the dog dies. Yep. Always a bummer. Yep. Always. A bummer. <clears throat> Let's not talk about it. Yeah. Let's go ahead and rate this. Um, you could probably talk about this movie all day. I actually, so I generally, when I watch a movie for this podcast, the first thing I do when I'm done with it is get rid of it. <laughs> I kept this one. Like I hung on to this. I will I will likely watch it again soon. I will probably make my wife watch it too. I really did enjoy this movie. For that I thank you. Um <clears throat> because I'm fourteen years old on the inside, Glenn, here we rate our movies on a FAP scale. <laughs> <laughs> um I literally took our old scale and I made penis references just to make it a FAP scale. But we do it on a zero to five in three categories. First of all, we're gonna start with the feature. Um I can't imagine you're going to give us a bad number, but how how did you like the story? I think it's a five. I mean, just talking about it, you know what I mean? Like just if I read the synopsis of this film, I'd be like, I have to see it. I absolutely have to. See it. And then just to, from, from watching it and it's so fleshed out, it's fleshed out so well. And the acting, um, like you guys were talking about with what Tessa Familia does with the character of Max, like she is treating this for a horror comedy. Like she is seeing her mom who at that point had been dead for years and made me believe those things she was feeling. So I give yeah, it a five. She brings a, she brings a gravitas to it that that was unexpected for this kind of film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you give it, Corey? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go four and a half. Uh, I think it's it's absolutely terrific. It, I, I certainly I can see some of the shortcomings stand up a little bit for me, um, and it, it's as far as a horror movie goes. It's not quite enough of that. I would have liked to see them go a little bit deeper on on some of the some of the stuff with the the villain of the film. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's such a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we got the uh, the attention. Wait, did you oh, score it? Oh shit, five. <laughs> right on. I'm sorry, I'm you rarely that. go higher in score than I do, so that's awesome. Yes, I um. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I really like I said, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, next up, the uh, attention. Um, how likely are you to rewatch this? How likely are you to recommend this to someone else? Which you recommended it to two people, kind of. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I feel this way largely how I felt about Sing Street, where it's like, forget my job, forget my business, forget everything I do to make money. I want to make it my full-time mission to bring awareness to this film. <laughs> 
Like, that's what I want to do, you know? And if anyone that follows me on Twitter, um, funny joke there, me mentioning my Twitter, uh, but anyone that follows me on Facebook knows that uh, since last summer, like I'm a Sing Street promoting machine and will take any opportunity to engage in conversation about it with people online. Um, and I would absolutely do that for this as well. Zero to five, what would you give it? No, I'm definitely a five. Five, goddamn. Uh, Corey, how about you? I'm I'm going to agree with the five. I, the fact that we sat here and conceptualized what we think the sequel could or should be um, says a lot. It just immediately, it's like, oh, but oh, we could do this, and they could, oh, and I really want to see that now. I I I do love this movie, and I love the the potential of what else could come. So yeah, I'm going to agree. Um, I I went with a modest four. Just, respectable yeah I, I really don't have a good explanation i will likely recommend it to others i will watch it multiple times i will make other people watch it um i mean we're talking about attention and you get distracted while masturbating <laughs> i get distracted pretty much during everything you yeah. know how i knew it's funny you mentioned that because the first time i watched this it was one where i mean if i'm watching anything i'm looking at my phone during it i'm yeah. on twitter i'm doing stuff with this one it was like after that first car crash scene, I was just like, okay, phone's down. I'm curious where this is going, what it's doing. Um, but Corey, what you mentioned is so spot on, man. It's like, so, you know, they talk about like, you know, like, why have my comparisons always come back to like drug addiction and heroin? But it's like, they talk about with heroin, like you're always chasing that high, man. You're chasing that first high. And what I think about with movies, I'm chasing that feeling as a kid where you're talking about your friends, like, well, what if they did this? Or what if there's a sequel? Or, you know, this could be a TV series. Or if there was a video game, it's this idea that it just gets your wheels spinning. Like, that's why I love movies. That's why I love comic books. That's everything I love about the genre of fiction is how it inspires you to just think about the potential for it, for that world, for that work. And with this one, yes, it has that in spades. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. Um, let's see. Last one we got here is the the panic. Zero to five. How do you feel about it? This one uh, I'm going to go low on. I'm assuming you guys are as well. Yeah. Um, I think that there were some good startles, some things I didn't expect. Like I didn't expect Thomas Middle uh, Stitch to get, you know, offed twice. Uh, yeah. In the way he did, I thought it was sort of scary that first time where he's trying to figure out, like, okay, well, is Billy the kid? And we didn't really talk about this much. So the killer in this is very much in the Jason Voorhees mold. They did minimal amounts to to do some variation on that, even down to his backstory. Um, but I know I did think there was a little tension and unease where you don't know where the film is going during that first scene where they have their confrontation. Um, but there were some shocking, shocking deaths, some things I didn't expect. But yeah, I would, I would give that like, like a, well, a two, I think, um, as far as full panic. I, I have a pretty good idea that this isn't going to have, you know, this isn't going to end like the, the original version of The Vanishing, where I'm just going to be like, what in the hell did I just see? <laughs> you know? Um, but the effects, no, I, I'd say on the effects surprises, yeah, that's where we go, you know, like a two to a three on it where I think it's a little weaker um, because they didn't try to make it genuinely scary. But to Corey's point, man, like to me, that's what a sequel could be in terms of they could really amp that up by making it an original fresh scenario that they don't know how it's going to play or what the rules are. It's true. Corey. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go two and a half and I'm going to score it a little bit higher because of the effects. And and that includes things like the, the, the banners that would show up, that would have an actual physicality to it. And the the credits running at the end, and and how they utilize those things, I think that brings some originality to it. 
um, the way that they interplay with the the expectations of the film. Also, because the car crash at the beginning outside the movie brings a a weight to it that the killings in the movie inside of the movie don't, uh, which is sort of the point is that that first scene, that first death is real. And then all the things that happen in the film are not real, except for the fact that they start happening to characters that are from the real world. Uh, so you feel a little bit more of a of a tugging of the heartstrings of like, but these are real people that are dying, not just characters in this film who are supposed to die, who the expectations are going to die. Uh, so it feels a little different. And it, it's sort of a cheat at the end that they all get to come back. But I'm okay with that in the concept of, of what the movie is. Um, but yeah, two and a half. Just a quick side note. Does anyone else just anticipate a car crash is about to happen anytime you have some scene where people are just talking about something which is a little too lackadaisical in a car? I'm just waiting. Yeah. Now. A little too lackadaisical and a little too like I'm not paying fucking attention. Yeah. Uh, so this is a very teachable moment. Uh, I expected fucking the the guy from G.I. Joe with the, the, the <laughs> eagle on his arm to show up and say, now, kids, you know, you should be paying the fuck attention to the road right now. And knowing's half the battle. The other half is wearing a seatbelt. It's true. <laughs> uh, I went with the two. I, I thought the effects were really good, but by no means was this movie at all scary at all. Which actually I think works in its and how much you can recommend it to friends mm -hmm. is because you're going to say that, hey, this isn't something that's going to gross you out. It's not something it's not going to cross a line. So I actually think like soft horror fans and hardcore horror fans alike will find a lot to love about this. Yeah, and we've had a number of people on the show who have been on here and said, well, I'm not really into horror movies, and that's exactly why we could recommend something like this. I, yep. I think Cabin in the Woods goes a little bit darker. It has a has a heavier tone to it. As much as it's fun, it, it is much more violent and, and has more of a terror edge than this does. Um, this is almost maybe just a touch above clue in the fact of like people die, but you're not feeling terrible about people dying and it's not scaring you with it. Yeah. <clears throat> Terrific. Corey, do you want to usher us out? Yeah. You can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966, or you can email us at pot at gncast.com. Uh, or you can leave us a message on the website, gncast.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to let you lose. We'd love for you to let us know uh, if you've seen this movie, how you like it. If you've seen this and the final girl, uh, how pissed off are you at them for making a movie that fucked this movie up? Uh, just, just in general, uh, give us recommendations for films coming up in the future. And uh, we'd like to know more about how you guys are doing. Did you guys you watch also... the final girl? Sorry. I mean, no, just... no, 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 that Curious and I, I don't think I knew that it was a different film. Yeah. Uh, a lot of potential in the first 10 minutes, and then it just all goes complete shit. Yeah, that's too bad. I'll uh, I'll save you some time and me 90 minutes. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate um, it for what it did to this film. Yes. Like, for what it did to the final girls. Yeah. For that alone, I'm going to IMDb and giving it a zero. <laughs> Does IMDb take scores anymore? I know that they closed down their their yeah they message still have ratings. That's that's how I remember what I liked is I'll go back and look at my IMDb rating. When someone asks me like what's good that you've seen, I, I go and look at my IMDb ratings. Well, I'm sure Brett Ratner has some bullshit to say about IMDb ratings, like he does about Rotten Tomatoes at this point. 
I was like, it's um, very hard for anything to get above a seven. I've noticed on IMDb. Yeah. It's like everything is in the four to six category. I feel like there, there may be a way to add weight to people who only rate things high and only rate things low to say, all right, you guys, you're not as important to people who actually have a fucking varied score of films because we think you're really just coming here to fuck with us uh, at this point. I'm convinced there's studio manipulation also, competing studios. I mean, I, I'm convinced it's, it's just shady. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you taking us home, Corey. <laughs> That's all right. Um, on top of everything else, guys, if you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we are at Podcast of Terror. You can also subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers. Uh, leave us feedback on whichever one you like. We love reviews. We'd love to be able to read them on the air. We also love the emails. We like to uh, discuss with you guys uh, how that shit goes. And uh, subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe. And you can join our Facebook page under the Galactic Network. Glenn. Yes. We really loved having you here, man. I have missed podcasting with you something fierce. Uh, I mentioned Matt last week at the end of the show when we were talking about you coming on that you are the reason why I'm doing this show and else nerds. You're the reason why I wound up on collecting netcasts uh, in the first place. And uh, it has been great to talk to you. But where can people find more of you? Well, you may have heard that you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Glenn Rubenstein and uh, I tweet on there quite a bit. Also, you can check out my book. On Amazon, podcast advertising works on sale now for 99 cents. Uh, going to keep that going for a little bit. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, there's not only just, you know, if you want to know why you hear Casper and Audible ads everywhere, check out that book. Uh, there's also some funny first person stories and to try and break down the concept. If you have a podcast, you can also learn about the best way to do advertising on it. And uh, yeah, I uh, host the Wrestling Inc. podcast every uh, Monday and Wednesday, which you can uh, find on your favorite podcast discovery platform gonna go subscribe to that one right now yeah absolutely i mean that was one of the things that as as much as i love your association with twit it started taking up so much of your time that i missed getting you doing podcasting i missed obviously podcasting with you yeah but it was one of those things that you were so great at it that i'm excited to see that you're doing it again yeah you know i stumbled into it i was telling uh these guys off the air that i Wrestling Inc. is one of the many podcasts that I help place ads on for my advertising clients. And just turns out I'm a fan of, of, of the, the sports entertainment and somehow ended up hosting the darn thing. So it's a nice, uh, nice little secondary, you know, it's almost a hobby at this point. I do it because I love doing it. And I think, you know, that's the best reason. So uh, it's cool. But I'm glad to do this. This has been great talking with you guys. Yeah, thanks. Man. Corey. Uh, you can find comics that I help make or publish at don'tastcomics.com. Uh, that's where you'll find the works of Levi Krauss and friends. Fun. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt the Lifeguard. Or if you're a functioning kind of alcoholic like me, I'm on Untapped as Drown the Mat. Nice. Play it in a band called Drown the Lifeguard. See what I did there. Um, Corey <laughs> forgot to mention we have a Facebook page now, Podcast Terror. Um, he sets the thing up and then fucking leaves Facebook. Leaves me to take care of it like a single mother. <laughs> Classic Corey. Yeah. yeah, if you're one of the people who I've befriended through uh, social media and stuff uh, since being on this show, don't think that I just walked away from you. I walked away from Facebook and all social media in general. For a little while, I'm taking a mental health break. I had to clear all those things off my phone because I'm showing signs of actual addiction 
and I needed to I needed to break away from it a little bit. But I love you guys, and uh, certainly email the show, and and uh, email or text Matt. uh, He'll let me know how you all are doing too, and I will keep an open communication. It's just right now I needed to I need to read more. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's gonna do it for another episode of the podcast. There, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you ta 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 ta. Satatay on the tip of tie. I just turned into fucking pooty tang right there. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hauntings, sky sounds, parallel universes, monster sightings, the new world order, ghost ships, urban legends, mysterious radio broadcasts and secret government facilities are just a few things we've talked about on Weird World Weekly. Listen to find out what's next. Go to gncasts.com slash weird to listen. Find out more and subscribe to the podcast that discusses the paranormal, mythological, conspiratorial, unexplained, or anything else we think is a little strange and out of the ordinary. Also, Matt's continuing search for turkey recipes. It's all on Weird World Weekly, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week on the Podcast of Terror. Next week, um, Corey and I actually took a vote. We decided on what we decided. We don't have a guest next week, so we have decided what we feel is the scariest movie that we have ever seen in our entire lives um we kind of want it to be a little bit of a surprise just because of what this movie means to us um so we're not going to tell you unfortunately bring a change of underwear expect to poop yourself shit's gonna get real um i may have to sleep with a blanket maybe a stuffed animal for like a week after this one but come back next week i promise It'll be probably one of the greatest movies of all time. It'll scare the shit out of you. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast here, and we will talk to you guys next week. Stay scared, everybody. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.